Phoebe. Welcome to Feminine Chaos. Welcome indeed. Uh, Phoebe, what are we talking about today? We're talking about a real tragedy of our times, which is that the gay men of America, the many millions, if not trillions of gay men in America, are unable to get the contraception they need to prevent them from needing an abortion now. Because they, I would say, more than women, are the true victims here. Oh, you know, in terms of the the fall of Roe, yeah, I would say that women are actually the like the last people we should be worrying about. Definitely, I mean, I think the the main people are gay men because you never know, right? Like, <laughs> I, I should be clear, you know, cisgender gay men, of course, right, right, because you never know. You don't want to judge. Maybe a cisgender gay man, something will spontaneously erupt in his in his system i saw a movie kind of like this uh it had arnold schwarzenegger in it not exactly the same circumstances no but... I, I i think you're right i think that that was um simply that was true that was like foreshadowing um what's to come it was a documentary it was like <laughs> it was like the handmaid's tale i think we should have a lot of instead of women dressed up like handmaids in protest it should just be men with like the baby bumps <laughs> i think that's got to be the new thing because so um Yes, we're talking about abortion in a way, in a somewhat roundabout way. We're talking about, yes, the uh, how America doesn't have it anymore. Well, not exactly, but, you know, the... Uh, the constitutional right. Demise, the, the constitutional right to abortion. And we're talking about, among other things, the, um, the rise of a very funny, I think, discourse on the left that says that the the real victims here it so it used to be the the line used to be that if you're a rich privileged white woman you're fine you won't have any problem getting an abortion even if roe is overturned but now it's somehow which you know like there's like a, a partial truth to this right but then it became somehow because everything is everything these days all causes are one it became that if you're cis privileged, you're less, you're somehow less at risk. Right. And not only are you less at risk, but you shouldn't, you shouldn't really be talking about this. And it's just, I have seen this so much, the thing about the cis specifically. And just to be clear, cis means you're not trans. If you are a woman who is not transgender, are you, let's just like, as a, as a sort of like basic question, are you more or less likely to need an abortion than, for example, a transgender woman. Gosh, I don't know if we're even allowed to have that conversation. It involves talking about body parts in a way that I understand has become somewhat taboo. So, so this is just, this is what's driving <laughs> me nuts here. It's, it's like, even if you think that cisgender privilege is a thing, is an important thing, whatever, in this ar- specific arena, you're just going to have to deal with the fact that the cishet woman is, you know, not doing so great like if reproductive (laughs) rights are like that's who it's for that's the main demographic by such a long shot impacted by this question so i just there's just this impulse to say but it's worse for the lgbt community and what's especially funny is you get this acronym right that includes g right and who is g who are g g are the are the i believe 
cisgender men who sleep with other men. Not typically a scenario that results in an unwanted pregnancy. Gen- as a rule, I mean, you know, like maybe 30% of the time you get a, a baby, you know, or, or triplets or something. But most of the time, I, as I understand it, when men have sex with other men, no baby. Yeah. You know, actually, I, I, I'm going to have to, I'll, I'll just drop it in as a sound clip, but George Carlin did a really funny bit on this in the mid-90s. I'm always for a mid-90s clip of comedy. Catholics and other Christians are against abortions and they're against homosexuals. Well, who has less abortions than homosexuals? <laughs> Leave these fucking people alone, for Christ's sakes. George Carlin, who I feel like he was so um, fundamental to my formative years that I think of him almost like my dad, uh, except much more foul-mouthed. Well, you wrote about though you wrote about this issue, a peculiar turn of events, and how it sort of captured the way that we talk about this on the left for the Spectator, uh, in a piece that I thought was terrific and also misunderstood in a relatively infuriating way by an awful lot of people. Yes, that was frustrating. (laughs) (laughs) Who seemed to think that you were arguing like a direct causative link between the sort of fracturing of the pro-choice movement and the actual decision of the Supreme Court. And on your behalf, I'm very annoyed at everybody who did not get it. Well, in fairness, a lot of of people did seem to get it. But then I think there's, there's this craving and a certain demographic of the online people for everything to be a certain type of like wonkish criticism of like, how did things get to be like this? And sort of like, like sports analysis, but for politics, a sort of wonk thing, you know, of like, well, you see, this was how it went with, you know, this number of justices went this way and this one went this way. And this is why it went this way. And this sort of like, not just the sort of like broad strokes of that, but like really um, figuring out like the nitty gritty of that. And I, I just tried to, that was not what my article was about. And I, made that clear I tried to at least in the very first sentence of the article Mm -hmm. yeah I mean I would actually say also that people not only want they they don't just want the explainer version but they're not really interested in any explainer that doesn't come down at base to because the people who did this are like very evil and bad and want women to suffer um and one of the things that's been interesting to me is that and I think this actually kind of relates also to some of the stuff that you addressed in your piece is this tendency to focus on Clarence Thomas's concurrence in which he also suggested that we perhaps need to take another look at uh, things like Griswold, which uh, guaranteed a right to contraceptive access, and Obergfell, which guaranteed the right to same-sex marriage. And people want to focus on this, even though Thomas's reasoning behind that is not it's not like a bigotry fueled thing like in, you know people are like he wants to undo loving no Clarence Thomas does not actually want like in a like a deep intrinsic like heartfelt sense to make his own marriage illegal but he has certain ideas about what parts of the constitution different rights or different decisions should derive from and that's sort of like you know you can think he's super wrong but the logic stems from like a jurisprudence thing not a i'm a self-loathing man in an interracial relationship well i i don't claim to know what's what's in any anyone's heart of hearts on the supreme court or not well let's just say one of these things seems more likely well, to me well sure sure um but 
I think that, you know, the, the quest to immediately leap away from the, the basic impact of this decision and who it basically impacts, mm-hmm. which again is mm-hmm. women, you know, in right. the traditional sense of the word. And to be like, and just think of how bad this is going to be for all of these other people who's, you know, for whom the door might have opened ostensibly to rule right. their rights. It's like we could we could actually it's been five minutes. We could talk about women. Right, right. So that was really um, what I wanted to focus on. So it wasn't, I wasn't saying that any like play by play, like if Clinton would have won, it would have been, you know, did Clinton lose because of a fault within feminism? Maybe, maybe not. I'm sure there were, you know, plenty of other factors too, you know, and I think that's, I don't want to be anachronistic about this also, because I think a lot of what's happened within feminism is to be clear, my, my piece was not about specifically the whole, um, trans rights versus gender critical slash so-called turf feminism. It wasn't about that really. It was what it was about was something like, I think bigger that that might be a sort of relatively minor in some ways part of, which is just this whole notion within feminism that you can't complain that there's always somebody who has it worse. And every feminist argument for, or essay or anything feminist really for, I would say like at least a decade has had this whole disclaimer attached to it, like where a woman is complaining about whatever's going on in her life, but is saying, um, but actually it would be worse if I were a woman of color, if I were poor, if I lived in, you know, a rural area, if I had whichever, you know, qualities. And I think that this, it could be worse, like has this weird way of mirroring this sort of even older right-wing trope of actually, you know, it's the women in Afghanistan who have it bad. Women in America should stop complaining. It's women in, you know, Saudi Arabia have it bad. Women in America, nothing to complain about. And there's this weird um, way in which this is kind of agreed upon on both sides, but then that makes it very challenging when there is a specific arena where even if American women are not overall the most tragic people in the whole world, there are specific arenas where, you know, with a woman in America will have something to complain about. And this is certainly one of them and certainly the main one right now. And I saw some extremely viral tweet about like, there isn't even formula on the shelves, <laughs> like, which I thought made a fair point. You know, like there's a lot going on in the States where um, if you have a baby or, you know, kind of on your own. Um, so then what a, what a fun time to make it mandatory. Yeah. So I just, I think there's been this tendency within feminism to sort of rather than unite over, like rather than find solidarity over a shared challenge, shared obstacles faced by all women, there's been this kind of quest to locate the true marginalized woman and to say that that's the only person who's actually suffering from anything. And I think that you can't really have a movement based around, we have nothing to complain about. Yes. I think that what you've identified goes uh, arm in arm with this tendency. I mean, it's a real, it's really been a kind of an obsession um, on the left more broadly with inclusivity, um, but with kind of policing inclusivity in a way that ultimately makes it impossible to build coalitions that often takes the form of mandating certain ways of speaking, which are quite alienating to 
people who are either like not a member of the super educated class who's like very, very up on whatever the latest lingo is, or people who came up in an earlier iteration of the movement who now, you know, use terms that have become outdated. Or just who have different politics, like who, you know, like there are a lot of people who are not happy that Roe was overturned, but who are not, you know, Tumblr teenage progressives. Right. Yeah. They're not the shout your abortion people. I've actually, so I've been writing a little bit about this and um, I suppose by the time we get this up, the piece may be out or will be on the verge of being out. Um, But my new column at Unheard addresses this in the context of how we have made it increasingly taboo to use the safe, legal and rare messaging. I mean, like it or not, that was extremely popular and it really worked to bring together an enormous coalition of people who agreed generally with the idea of choice, even if they had ambivalent feelings about abortion itself. And as we've outlawed, well, I mean, not outlawed, but made it made it stigmatized um, to use certain terms, you know, to say that we would prefer abortion be rare or to use the word women in talking about the group most affected by this um, or to use the word choice, you know, which apparently recently went out of vogue as well. Really? Choice? Yeah. When a draft decision was leaked, a whole bunch of Democratic Congresswomen, I believe, took a walk to the place where they do the Congress. I, just, I don't know what the hell it's called, where, where they are. Capitol Hill? Yeah, wherever. You know, they were in the they were in their building. They were in Versailles, perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> Versailles. Yes. Walking through the Hall of Mirrors, chanting, my body, my decision, because recently a memo had been issued from, I want to say either Narrow or Planned Parenthood, one of those organizations, saying that choice was non-inclusive language because it was alienating. I'm sure you can guess, you know, which which groups um, it was alienating to, you know, women of color and LGBT women who lacked the capacity to make a choice, you know, or lacked the the avenue to make a choice. And so- Because free will, I mean, you know, it's only- Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it's privileged. only for Sheryl Sandberg personally. <laughs> Nobody yeah. else has it. Yeah. Um, and so like what, what I think is the effect of this is Every time you, you know, you make one of these terms taboo, you effectively carve away a whole, often incredibly large group of people who would have used that language, who are now alienated from the movement. And they're like, if your movement were like a sheet of sea ice, you're just chipping off pieces of it and like sending them off like the Inuit elders on an ice floe to to die. You don't get to be part of this anymore. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think I, I'm very struck by the fact that since the summer of 2020 and the whole sort of like, um, as Lee Stein has written um, really well about, like the sort of the girl boss downfall and also um, the sort of the mo- the Karen moments, the whole like the enemy of the, like the pandemic and uh, the sort of racial awakenings, big enemy was the Karen, you know, there's just been this idea that like, sort of, I think there's been this kind of like post me too reaction Um, that's been not about anything to do with sexual harassment or anything like that, but to do with just this idea that it's not that women are the main victims, it's that women are the main oppressors and sort of like this extreme, you know, opposite overcorrection thing. Oh, I don't know. I I think that that's like one of the big um, kind of cultural shifts that's weakened. I don't think it's caused in any sort of like direct way a Supreme Court decision, but I think it's left the people who are unhappy with the Supreme Court decision 
in a bit of a bind about what to do. So there's there's this stuff about language, although I don't, I tend to think that's less important than maybe some other people do, because I think like in day-to-day life, I think you just hear people who say pregnant people and pregnant women interchangeably all the time. I don't know that it's like as extreme as all that. I guess I just think there's this sort of general idea that women are not actually oppressed, but are in fact the oppressor. And this has been really so embraced on the left that like, what are you going to do now? <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I also think that there's been this general sort of, um, and I think I wrote about this in my newsletter. This was not in the Spectre, this was in my newsletter, but just about this general um, pushback against the kind of pussy hat resistance, liberal, um, the future is female type feminism that's been really like on, I would say like across the ideological spectrum, there's been this kind of, there's both been the kind of trad pushback and this kind of like the socialist bimbos. There are all these different ideas of like that the sort of pantsuit liberal needs was a mistake, but what's come up and sort of to replace this idea hasn't necessarily been like more progressive or more um, sort of women's rights ish to put it in a very simple way. Like, I guess what I'm saying is that I don't know who, who exactly is going to step up to um, defend reproductive rights at this particular time. Well, I mean, the women, the women who have, you know, at this point, like who are in a position to maybe be able to influence this are also, fortunately, in the ones who are in positions of so-called privilege and who are being told that using their voices is akin to calling the manager. Um, you know, you're not speaking truth to power. You're using your power to abuse somebody else. I don't know. I just I, I feel like I see it's hard. This was this has been hard for me to write about. I've written about it now twice. And I just I think there are just too many strands going on that all converge on something, but I'm just trying to make sense of it. But it basically like all I can come up with is kind of like a weakness in feminism and a kind of like self, a feminist self-sabotage moment where um, there are a lot of different ways feminism is undergoing this self-sabotage, but basically this idea that like actually women have it too easy is part of it. Um, And then there's also this sort of, the more liberal feminist idea that like any woman who chooses to have a baby is doing that, you know, a little, it's a little bit of an irresponsible choice always. If you choose, you know, it's one thing if you're poor and you can't help it and you have a baby because of like life circumstances in your community, but like that, if you're really like a more sensible, educated woman, you're putting your career first. Maybe you have a baby eventually, maybe, but it's a bit of an irresponsible and unprofessional and maybe even unfeminist. Not to mention that it's terrible for the environment. <laughs> well, yes, exactly. Um, and I'm definitely not thinking of any particular writers here, but um, yeah. And I think that there's this kind of like center left, which is roughly where I generally fall politically on a lot of things, but there's this kind of center left idea that really like you just have to be a realist about things and the world doesn't want women, you know, like society, American society at least doesn't want women to both be mothers and be ambitious professionals. So you really like, it's kind of on you, like, like it or not, it's on you if you have a baby and, you know, don't just like using your gazillions of spare dollars, have a nanny caring for that baby so you can go back to work the next day. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the it's on you 
kind of approach to things also has its own sort of weird like funhouse mirror image on the right where it's like if you didn't want to get pregnant you know you shouldn't have been doing the thing that makes you pregnant as though it's a reasonable expectation that all women in heterosexual couplings no matter what age they are if they're fertile um and you know no matter how many children they might already have like anytime you have sex you should simply be prepared that a child will result and if you're not willing to accept that then uh then something's i mean at the very least you're extremely dumb and probably evil <laughs> yeah i mean that's really oh that that's this really old-timey notion on the right you know it's and it's certainly not specific to the u.s although that seems to be where it thrives a lot these days but yeah this idea that even within marriage sex is a little bit disgusting for a woman to be having <laughs> like, <laughs> what are you even doing honestly like look at your choices i don't know i just I, i'm like obsessed with this jd vance tweet about like that oh, i just i need to find it because i just yeah you're you're talking about jd vance also look at your choices <laughs> what are you even doing i'm doing the twitter and it's always a mistake um okay his tweet um if your worldview tells you it's from 21 hours ago apparently if your worldview tells you that it's bad for women to become mothers but liberating for them to work 90 hours a week in a cubicle at the new york times or goldman sachs you've been had so i've been thinking about this tweet a lot because like in the last 21 hours i've spent no time doing anything like sleeping or anything um or for example caring for two uh, small children. Sorry, Republicans to be. Um, yeah, you can't put me in a box. Um, but yeah, <laughs> maybe in a playpen. But yeah, this whole idea, like the working 90 hours a week in a cubicle for a company, isn't that supposed to be like the American way? And you're supposed to, and that's supposed to be, you know, what you're supposed to want, except I guess not if you're a woman, except it is because you're otherwise you're a welfare queen, right? You know, if you don't do that, but if you do do that, you're an ambitious um hag hag the <laughs> cats oh isn't jd vance the one who's always talking about cat ladies is he the one it's a thing on the right these days yeah yeah well i mean they're very obsessed with with you know childless the childless um, childless middle-aged millennial cat ladies yeah um mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well at least they acknowledge that the millennials are middle-aged they have that on on their side. At last, we're finally there. I mean, it took it took a long time. Um, we really earned this, you know. It took decades for us to become middle aged. Yeah. It does. It, it does that. And it seems like it's taking longer for us to do it than previous generations. I feel like you know, I tried. I've I've tried to claim my middle agedness a few times, and people kind of push back. They're like, "No, you're not there yet." And I think you know, no, I I am. I'm definitely there. Like, don't don't you deny me this. Like I've worked really hard at living this long to get middle age. <laughs> exactly. Think of all the cars that have not run me over. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think the irony though, is that um, JD Vance, I believe is married to a woman who's actually quite professionally accomplished. I believe so. Some sort of like high powered lawyer or something. Not even a podcaster cat. Not even just a podcast. Maybe she has a podcast. I don't know. We can't all reach such <laughs> echelons of achievement. I work 90 hours a week as a podcaster. I don't know about you, but <laughs> a thousand hours a week. I worked so hard at podcasting that I died and came back to life. As another podcaster. Through the sheer, yeah, I was reincarnated as a, a second podcaster. Um, this has gotten very, very weird and a little off topic. Yeah, I guess what I can't figure out is what the right even wants here, because it seems like there's this this weird sort of trad fantasy that 
they also but they also haven't like changed their economic views so it's like who i i just don't know like literally who they think is paying for the trad world that they supposedly want like they seem to both want world where the mother stays home you know and is raising the babies who in this worldview and this is not just about politicians it's also just sort of online discourse the baby is forever a baby right like there's never the question of what is the woman with the seven-year-old doing during the day like that somehow never comes up it's like she's just still home with the baby who's still a baby yeah, there's a weird kind of uh, suspension of, you know, the time-space continuum, apparently, in these households where somebody gives birth. They're only ever pregnant or have just given birth, and that's it. Exactly, that's, exactly. That's sort of yeah. I don't I don't want to say in fairness to Republicans. That's not the term that I intended to use. But rather, um, I, I think that at this point, they're in a little bit of a dog that caught the car situation. You know, this is something that has been there's been activism on this front and attempts on this front for, I mean, 50 years, basically. Right, um, they've, been attempt- they've been trying to do this. And only just now has it actually become possible for them to do it. So I think there's going to be a little bit of a scramble. Uh, what's unfortunate to me is that I do think that the Republicans at this point have momentum on their side. Um, and I have seen at least a little bit of chatter on the right about advancing now, you know, better maternity leave policies, better family leave policies. They're not going to do this. They're not going to do this. You know, I'm, I'm willing, I'm willing to wait and see. I'm willing to wait and see. Have you seen that? Yeah. There's a Chris, what Christopher Rufo suggestion of that was like, three months leave and then it comes out of your social security or something which christopher like... rufo is not a politician i know he's, but i'm saying i think a, that that's where it's gonna i know online. he's a dumb guy online but i think that that's the type of universe we're looking at here but I, what i will say though is i do think that there's going to be a little bit of like what you're talking about um i don't i guess i think a lot of the people who think they want abortion banned don't because I think there's, you know, and I, I understand this sentiment, like this sense that it's it's sad if somebody's pregnant and doesn't have, you know, a baby, you know, the babies are nice, right? Isn't that sad? Fine. But I think that like in actual, like there are so many circumstances where even somebody who thinks that will <laughs> need to get an abortion that it just, you know, like I don't think that the people who think they want this all actually want this, you know? And I think that that's where this is going to, be an issue right like oh, I don't know like there are the shout your abortion people and then there are the people who you know like there's something like where the the fetus would not become a living baby but they're forced to carry to term you know or they somehow didn't realize they were pregnant for however whatever you know like there's so many different things come up and um you know people uh get into situations right like yeah yeah well I mean what's that saying that you know they they wanted this and now they're gonna get it good and hard yeah well I guess that's what I think I think there are a lot of people especially very young people who have a lot of notions about like what they would do and sort of like they have this notion that of what an abortion would be and what the circumstances would be um and there are just like too many situations in this world that arise that yeah I don't know I I think that there's just there there are a lot of people who think they're happy about this and what they're actually saying is that under certain circumstances they believe they would not choose sorry to use the word choice (laughs) to have an abortion which fine I don't think that they should be forced to I think 
there is, you know, I think it might be nice if the anti-abortion side focused on people having abortions, women, I should say, having abortions, um, well, the women, I think are people, although the science is still out on that, um, <laughs> having abortions because there's no um, safety net, you know, for once you have a baby, that's a place you could focus if you don't want people having them. But anyway, I don't know. But the, I, I think we have to soon, though, get to the other subtopic, though, because it's extremely funny and I, I don't want to have missed it. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is so this is a part and parcel, I think, of the sort of fragmentation of the pro-choice movement. You can't say you can't suggest anymore that abortion is in any way like a bad or unpleasant thing or something that people do like reluctantly. And as a result of this quest to destigmatize abortion, it seems as though we've sort of successfully to in certain corners, at least, um, transferred that stigma to pregnancy. It's like we can't say that abortion should be rare, um, but maybe pregnancy should be. Oh, yes, yes. That, okay, so the whole thing of like an abortion is less risky than a pregnancy, that line of thought has lately kind of exploded into um, these discussions, which are, so it, in some ways, the segues with a perhaps overdue, although it's kind of existed for a while, just openness about the sort of indignities of pregnancy, the medical complications, um, things of that nature with pregnancy and childbirth. Although something that I just want to um, mention before I forget is that there's been stuff about how companies are very, the, the very woke companies are paying, will pay employees to travel to get an abortion. And it's like, is this, you know, because they're so pro-choice or is it because they don't want the women who work for them to have a baby? I'm just going to throw that out there as something that I noticed um, while looking at the internet and thought, hmm, interesting. But yeah, so what we're going to talk about, though, is uh, Mona Charon's article in The Bulwark in defense of pregnancy, which is basically, um, I think, a kind of flawed attempt at refuting the idea that pregnancy is um, a horrible disease, which I think is like, I think the point, like, I think the the impetus for the article was sound. Yes. Was the article sound is a different question. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the impetus for the article for a second, because I do think that is worth landing on. In the in the immediate wake of the leak of the Dobbs decision, what happened online was like nothing I've ever seen. It was like this sudden tidal wave of people suggesting that like not only was a you know should abortion be available like readily on demand safe legal whatever somebody wants it but that basically like unless you had a death wish or desire to like see your body turned into like a living carnival freak show no person in their right mind would ever actually carry a pregnancy to term i won't i won't read the whole thing um but this uh twitter thread that came across my feed from an OBGYN who was enumerating all of the things that can go wrong with pregnancy. And I swear to God, it's like, I just imagine somebody reading this stuff off like an auctioneer. And she, so it says, here it says, a thread on some maternal, not fetal, that's another huge thread, consequences of forced birth from an OBGYN and urogynecologic, gyne, urogynecologic, 
uh, God, I can't talk today. Whatever. Surgeon who repairs postpartum maternal trauma. Okay, so here we go. The litany. Hemorrhage from miscarriage or ectopic, sepsis, blood clots, strokes, heart attacks, hyperemesis and intractable vomiting, increased domestic violence, exacerbations of heart disease, lupus and rheumatologic disease, hypertension, seizures, and mental illness, diabetes, pregnancy-related cancers, preeclampsia, more seizures, strokes, and heart attacks, placental abruption, uterine rupture, emergency cesarean, bladder injury, urinary retention, vaginal laceration and prolapse, pelvic floor muscle and nerve injury, anal sphincter and rectal tears. And you know what? It keeps going. Going, but I'm going to stop at rectal tears because I just, it's got a really nice mouthfeel. I just want to land there. Okay. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> on the one hand, yeah. If you've got to figure like, so there's um, a really great um, Victoria Wood stand up comedy um, that I found on YouTube, I think from like 1988 or something, where she talks about trying to get, I think it's like a grand piano through a small doorway or something, childbirth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that yeah. inept movers trying to do that or something. <laughs> um, childbirth, right? Like you got to figure, you know, the size of the the baby and the size of the hole, and like obviously, you know, like, this is not going to be like trivial, right? I mean, but at the same time, like this is where babies do come from, and I think, like, I think the correct argument here is like, you know, most women want to have babies and this is where they come from. Not necessarily that it's like enjoyable at all times to be pregnant or to have a baby come out of your body. You know, it's more that like, if you want to have a baby, this is, this is how it happens. You know, there's no like other version of this where like the baby you're growing like peas in your garden and the baby just comes from one of those pods, you know, (laughs) like I I think that what gets a little bit mixed up is like, if you're forced to do all of this, um, whether because of abortion having been banned where you live or because you're a surrogate of, you know, financial desperation. Yeah, you know, that's, that's terrible. I think the question is, is it tragic to be pregnant and have complications during pregnancy? Or is that just like, that's just kind of, that's how babies, that's where babies come from. That's another question. And like, I think the problem that you get on the so-called left is this thing that really does become like, I mean, there's a reason I mentioned this thing about the companies paying employees to get an abortion. Like, should the left be more interested in making it so that, you know, it goes as smoothly as possible when women have babies? Or should it just be like, wow, it's economically inefficient and inconvenient when women have babies, so maybe they just shouldn't have them? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think there's certain echoes to me in what's happening now, um, the way that the left has managed to kind of almost pigeonhole itself as not just pro-choice or pro-abortion, but like increasingly a little bit anti-family or anti-child. Um, and I'm not saying this is happening across the board, but I think it's it's definitely like kind of in the air in certain spots. It reminds me of how back in the like 90s, Republicans were caught kind of flat footed in, you know, being very reactionary against stuff like the safe, legal and rare messaging, where they ended up taking these reflexive 
honestly insane self-sabotaging stances against things like birth control. So they, they became the party that like doesn't even want you to have non-procreative sex, not a popular position. And I think that there's maybe something slightly akin to that happening now where we see a certain almost fetishization of, like you were saying, the like emergence of the trad thing on the right. And the response to that is to go totally in the opposite direction, even if that puts you in a place where you're arguing for stuff that's, you know, unpopular, even a little ghoulish sometimes. Some of this is new, but some of it is also like, I'm thinking of just um, when I was in grad school, there was very much this thing where like professors would say, or at least classmates of mine would tell me that they'd heard that like you, you were warned off against having a baby because it would be like, like you should wait till you're at the very least you have tenure. Now a professor with tenure, that's like a 35 year old. Plenty of women have babies, you know, at 35 and older. But if you absolutely rule out the possibility of having a baby under that or 40 or 45, whatever, you know, if you absolutely rule out having a baby when you're younger, it certainly lowers the chance you will have a baby. And it certainly is very different from saying, let's make academia a place where you can, you know, have a baby and have a job. And the feminist line has kind of long been that, like, if you care about your career, you don't have the baby at all, or at least not for uh, not until you're like at a point in your career where biologically it's going to be a lot harder, you know? And I think that that's been the case in a lot of different professions that sort of even though like if you look at the actual statistics it seems like well-educated women do have a lot of children so who knows um but i think that the sort of the ideology of it is still kind of stuck in this like if you actually cared about your career you wouldn't have a baby and that's supposed to be progressive but yeah i don't know this article though like i'm sorry it's just we have to talk about it because it was um interesting i think yeah i mean i i for one would you know i I think that it, it would be worthwhile to have somebody make the case that not just that pregnancy is worth it for the ultimate outcome you know even if it's a horror show along the way but to maybe like at least talk somewhat about things about pregnancy that are fun because i do think that you know when um mona charon she the outset, she identifies the same problem that um, we've just been talking about this, like, you know, sort of proliferation of pregnancy horror stories. Um, she says, I understand the motive, but things have gotten out of hand. Uh, young women reading these stories may get the impression that pregnancy is a hellscape of pain, disfigurement, and degradation for women. And I wanted to say, not just young women, as a middle-aged woman, <laughs> I'm reading this thinking like, yeah, you know, this sounds like an absolute nightmare. Why would anybody ever willingly do this? Yeah, I mean, so I guess how to put this, my perspective, having done this twice, um, is certain things about your body may change and certain things will happen that are not great. And I think, is pregnancy fun? Well, I think it's fun in the sense, like, obviously, everybody's different. Some women love being pregnant. Some women hate it. Some women have, you know, like different things happen, different pregnancies. I think you can love the result without loving the experience. I think that there are, um, oh, I don't know how, like, I think, okay, so what what struck me in this article, though, um, was that ostensibly, Bonatern is trying to refute these kind of very 
like you say, these very lurid discussions, very frank, like perhaps overly frank is her view discussions about pregnancy and I guess childbirth. So then this part of the article that I want to just focus on, um, she writes, uh, where is the acknowledgement that pregnancy is one of the great joys of life? I have three children, two pregnancies, and can report that despite the aches and pains and the bodily changes, and then she has in parentheses, that delicacy forbids discussing, and parentheses, my days as a pregnant woman were among the happiest of my life. Okay, so that's the part that really jumped out at me. Mm-hmm. She dismisses in a little parenthetical everything that happens to your body during pregnancy or after it, I guess. Now, <laughs> I'm not saying that she or I or anybody owes the world live stream of everything that happens. But if you're going to respond to women's frank discussions of what it all entails, even with very wanted babies, to say it's just that it, you just don't want to talk about it is different than saying that it doesn't really bother you. You know what I mean? Like, I think that that really, that to me kind of, that's where I was lost. If you're not talking about whatever was the last thing you landed on was the rectal something. If you're not talking about that because it's gross, that's different from not talking about it because it's a myth. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, especially in a country like the U S where healthcare, even if you have coverage is complicated and expensive. It's um, that is part of it. You know, all of the health stuff is part of it. it. Being pregnant is not being sick, but being pregnant can lead to um, all kinds of things. Like I had a thing where my iron levels dropped really low. It wasn't clear that that was what it was. And I went to like the ER. Um, they thought it was maybe low blood pressure. And, you know, like this was not, yeah, it wasn't aches and pains. And I didn't even like have complicated pregnancies. Like it's still like I was healthy during both pregnancies. And yet- you know, there's always stuff that happens. And I think, I, I just feel like the better argument would be like, it's a wonderful thing to be able to have a baby you want to have. And it makes all of this worth it. And it's different from being sick because there's a point, you know, and the idea that it's exciting to be pregnant in some sort of like in and of itself. I mean, yeah, some people feel that way. Some women, you know, love like wearing maternity clothes or whatever and kind of get into it. Um, I can't say that I entirely did. Um, it's also, I think maybe like, I just would always feel very self-conscious because I'm a very small person. And from like about five minutes pregnant, I look like, when are you do style? Mm -hmm. Um, and it's just a little, and makes me self-conscious, I think more than, you know, like they're, cause some women are like worried, like, will people think they're pregnant or fat? And for me, it was more like, no, people know I'm pregnant, but I just wish I could like walk through a space and not be so like visible because <laughs> no. people would always be like, you look great in this sort of way where like you say to somebody who looks not like, so <laughs> say, so who <laughs> looks not great. <laughs> I, I think you need to hear that you look great. So I'm going to say it even though it's not true. I don't know. I just, I found this, I found this article very frustrating because I, I think you can't sort of put the toothpaste back in the tube of the knowledge of the sort of, physical realities of pregnancy and childbirth. I think that's just, um, I think you have to know these things like, or you will find them out regardless, you know? And is it a horror show? Well, no, look at all the women who live happy decades long lives after having babies, you know, who have more babies. So clearly, you know, becoming functional again 
is a thing that happens, you know, like, uh, I don't know. I just, there's something about this that just seems like to, to say that you're going to be too, to sort of like cutely be discreet about it. Like, no, you don't have to talk about your own exact body, but like these things are real that are being discussed. You know, all of them are not going to happen to all women, but like, yeah, it is gruesome, but like, we all get old, you know, we all get things wrong with us. Like it's, you know, life is gruesome. Yeah. I think that maybe part of the thing is that the perceived audience for these house of horrors threads about, you know, how terrible it is to be pregnant and all of the terrible things that can happen to you when you are, are the perceived audience is a person who does not want to be pregnant and would not be happy to learn that they were pregnant. And so it's, it makes sense to focus in this way. Um, yeah, and I don't really know what the the way to to kind of work against whatever that is. I don't I don't know how you would do that. I think you would do it by saying that the baby is a desired result in many mm-hmm. cases, and that the right to have the children you want to have is also important in this world. And it's not just about avoiding having inconvenient or unwanted children. It's also about having the children you want to have and that's where they come from. There's no like alternate path for, you know, most people. And certainly if you want to have your own biological children, I mean, that's where they're going to come from. Like, yeah, I do think though that it would be reassuring, you know, for there to be at least like some, uh, some restraint or some caveat where at the point at which you've run down this litany of, of everything that includes like, everything from anal tearing to incontinence, like lifelong incontinence, um, you know, to, to maybe make a note of how many people actually suffer all of these. It's the, it's the all of it thing. It's like the idea that like every last one of these things is going to happen to me. And like at the, at the end of this process, I'm going to be the elephant man. Well, I think another thing that might be sort of reassuring in a kind of bleak, but, ultimately reassuring way is even if you don't have children you get older you know like there's no like because you know I think for women it's also you know there's this like what will happen to my body will it not look the same it's like well it won't whether or not you have children so you know it's not like you stay 25 forever if you don't have children that's like it may change some things but doesn't change all that much in the end and I think aging probably changes quite a bit more. Right. I think that maybe the thing about pregnancy is that it represents a, an additional sacrifice of control. Like, you know, yeah. if, you, if you are not pregnant, then you have, you know, not infinite, but a certain degree of control over, right. you know, over what your body looks like and where things mm-hmm. go. Um, if you decide to have the baby, you are relinquishing that, you know, to the process of growing this human being inside of you so there's a lot of stuff that either like you can't do to keep your body or like or that's simply not possible to keep your body looking a certain way and then there's the question of like what happens afterwards right right I mean you have to basically make peace with that you gain weight pretty much any sort of dermatological interventions from the you know like the whole gamut you know are impossible while you're pregnant or nursing like anything um you might do to look nice is impossible. So you just have to kind of go with, um, and then people will tell you how you have a glow, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think it is, it's a relinquishing, but it's also like, 
like I'm thinking about the sort of posh mothers in my neighborhood and what they look like. And do these women look like they're, you know, they've been through the ringer and they, no, they just look like very well put together, skinny, rich women. Like, I don't know. They don't, I don't think, so I, I guess I'm going to have to disagree. I think that there is value in talking about all the things that happen because they happen and it's better to, you know, be a little bit forewarned, but also like understand that these are not all permanent changes that, you know, whatever, like the specific concern somebody might have, like chances are it's not a permanent change, um, but it is a temporary relinquishing of control. But the point is you do it with a particular um, goal in the end. And I guess I think that where this to tie it back to the whole road topic is like all of this is assuming you're choosing or deciding or whatever to have this baby. And I think the question is to undergo all of this by force effectively, you know, cause you'll be in trouble with the law if you don't is different from doing so because you want to have a baby. And that's what I think maybe left me with like, not the greatest um, taste here. Like great that she liked being pregnant somebody who's pregnant because the law doesn't allow them not to be is probably not that happy about it, even if they're having an uncomplicated pregnancy medically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I saw this piece as aimed at the, not the person who is pregnant and going to be forced to carry the baby to term when they don't want it. But the person who might be considering pregnancy and is being thoroughly freaked out by mm -hmm. the prevalence of one narrative about it. Yes, but even then, I don't know, like, then I feel like, what about the fact that there isn't maternity leave? You know, what about the medical care situation, like when you have to bring your child to the doctor or yourself to the doctor to do with something to do with the pregnancy, you know, like, oh, I feel like there are reasons other like even if you don't talk about any of the gruesome stuff I don't know I just feel like having this kind of like Pollyanna thing about it's fun to be pregnant is like it's not that every article has to do everything but I think there was just something about this that just you think this one should have done everything I think it should have done every single thing no but I also just I, it to me it just comes back down to that delicacy forbids discussing parenthetical like no delicacy has stopped forbidding discussing if that's what the conversation is then you have to at least allude to it. You can just say like, there's bad stuff, but it's still worth it. Or the bad stuff has been exaggerated, whatever you want to say on it. But to just say forbids discussing, no, it's it's out there. It's a conversation. I don't know. that That's the thing that frustrated me here. Mm, yeah. Well, I mean, I respect this article for what it attempted to do. I don't think that it did as bad a job of it as uh, as you seem to. Overall, I think that there is a contingent of people who are maybe like a little concerned that we're going to talk ourselves out of reproducing entirely. And then the species is going to be like pandas where they just like they just die off <laughs> because they're not they're not having enough sex uh, or enough procreative sex. So if you uh, approach it from that perspective, then you could see how it maybe it would be useful. I don't know. I, I one one line I found bizarre was the sorry, but the food has never tasted so good, and all of my nerve endings vibrated with special potency. I don't know about that. That's interesting. I guess these are all everybody has different experiences. There was I, no special potency vibrating in your nerve endings. These were tacos specifically, but most things no. I don't know. That's fair. <laughs> Ideally, the left and right would be able to sort of 
join forces on like making it easier for women to have children younger if they wanted to and then not have that be like and then you're home with a baby for the rest of your life with this perma baby but for some reason like nobody wants to do that for different reasons and then you end up in this kind of weird situation where all women are kind of simultaneously like told to have a baby immediately and told not to and Right. I think that it's interesting that the progressive thing to do, you know, if you're a company is to allow your, like help your employees freeze their eggs. Yeah. <laughs> it's not helping them to have a kid naturally while they're still fertile. It's, it's helping them to put their eggs in a refrigerator for later. And this can be the extent of, it, it is, it is interesting. Like there's very little assistance for the practical necessities that come a year or two or five or 10 after you've had the child. The actual like parenting doesn't get a lot of support, um, but everyone's obsessed with the, the pregnancy and the birth. Well, the egg freezing thing seems not unlike the pay for the employee to have an abortion thing, to be honest, because the egg freezing, it's like, that's very unlikely to lead to a baby. It's not that women who freeze their eggs don't then have a baby, but not through freezing their eggs. They just like have a baby. I think it's one of these things where it's like, it makes somebody feel okay about not getting pregnant right then because like, oh, they have this backup. Yeah. It's like you're, um, you're paying for them to give themselves a false sense of security. Yeah. So they're not worried about it. And yeah, I mean, I think the more society could just come around to like how biology is and sort of work around biology rather than, yeah, but whatever. I don't know. I don't, I don't make the rules and if companies do as they do yeah i think we're more likely ultimately to see the uh, the arnold schwarzenegger movie scenario where they come around to like now we figured out how to make men pregnant and you can do this for a million dollars well i'm glad we've come full circle to arnold schwarzenegger um and the pregnant cis man because all um, roads lead to pregnant arnold schwarzenegger that's the moral of this story it certainly is. And I hope he's enjoying his pregnancy. He's never enjoyed food more. <laughs> All of his nerve endings are vibrating with they a special, special sense of potency. Before we conclude this conversation, this is a good place to mention that if you are enjoying this discussion and you would like to hear more like it, you can subscribe to the Feminine Chaos Substack at femchaospod.substack.com. For $5 a month, you get exclusive access to our entire back catalog of premium episodes, as well as uh, we haven't figured out exactly how many premium episodes we're going to be releasing per month now that Phoebe is back, but um, there will be some and it'll be great and you want to hear them. So absolutely. Lots of, lots of great premium content. All right. Uh, Phoebe, anything else to say about your impending child that you fathered with Arnold Schwarzenegger? Oh boy. Um, it's a whole litter actually. Incredibly muscular babies. And they're cats. No, they're cats. <laughs> Incredibly muscular cats. I just wanted to share that they're cats. Really does give a new meaning to the idea of the middle-aged cat lady. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As you know, as 40 approaches, I'm well, I guess first 39, then 40, uh, switching to giving birth to cats. Once you go cats, you never go back. Yeah. In Canada, that's very normal. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have nothing else now. I'm thinking it's probably not so great that uh, Roe v. Wade was overturned. I don't know what's going to happen next. Yeah. I will be a- awaiting the formation of a coalition. We'll see if it actually happens or not. All right. This has been Feminine Chaos. 
Thanks for listening. Bye.